Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Just yesterday, someone asked me why I'm doing these podcasts. And the answer, I hope it helps you become a little better. See, I don't consider myself the best speaker or personality, but I know my life has been blessed by listening to worthwhile podcasts. And I want to return the favor to add my voice to the community of podcasters who are trying to make a difference. So wherever you're listening today, whether you're in the car or on your daily walk or run, or just part of your daily inspiration time, I hope today we can learn something that will help you as you strive to reach your goals and fulfill your purpose. Now, if you want to find the home base for these podcasts, just go to openyoureyes.org. From there, you can find the best place to listen and subscribe. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about the power of action. On Tuesday, January 28th, 1986, millions of Americans were glued to their television set. Why? Because a teacher from New Hampshire was one of seven passengers aboard the space shuttle Challenger, and it was about to take off from Cape Canaveral. This space shuttle mission was the 25th shuttle launch. NASA had undertaken months of public relations and media campaigns to use this launch as a way to re-energize and recapture the attention of the country. You see, the space shuttle program had become routine. No one had been watching the recent launches or talking about NASA, for that matter. So the idea was hatched to invite a teacher aboard to teach students across the country from the space shuttle and bring the needed attention to, the, to NASA. Catapulting the Challenger off the ground and out of the atmosphere, however, was no easy task. The 200-foot-tall space shuttle weighed 4.4 million pounds. That's like stacking on top of each other 125 semi-tractors and trailers and propelling them upward until they reached a speed of 25,000 miles per hour, allowing the shuttle to escape the Earth's gravitational force. Now, to do this, NASA used two solid rocket boosters attached to the space shuttle. Each booster loaded with 1.1 million pounds of fuel, which consumed 11,000 pounds of fuel per second during takeoff. Sitting atop the tower of fuel and rocket engines sat the crew cabin, which was about 16 by 16 feet. And strapped into their seats in that tiny cabin that day were two pilots, three mission specialists, and two payload specialists, including teacher Krista McAuliffe. The launch on that Tuesday had been scheduled several days earlier, but weather and mechanical issues caused the launch to be scrubbed three times. Each time, millions of school children and people across the country who had tuned in to watch the launch now had to wait because the launch was canceled. And most embarrassing for NASA was that the launch was canceled once because there was a problem with the handle on the door to the crew cabin. Given these delays, public pressure was mounting to launch the shuttle. So on Monday night, the evening before the launch, NASA was evaluating whether to delay again. Why? Well, there was a rare cold front sweeping across Florida, and temperatures were expected to be as low as 20 degrees, well below freezing. And NASA had asked all major partners to make their recommendations as to whether the launch should proceed or not. On a Monday night conference call, engineers at Morton Thiokol, the makers of the large rocket boosters, 
expressed concern about the stability of the O-rings that helped seal the sections of the booster rockets together. Now, from analysis of the O-rings recovered from boosters used on previous flights, it was determined that cold temperatures could cause the O-rings to be less resilient and fail. So, 54 degrees was the recommended minimum launch temperature. Now, after engineers recommended to delay the launch, NASA Director Larry Malloy said, My gosh, Thiokol, when do you want me to launch next April? Given the pressure applied by NASA with that statement, Thiokol relinquished and agreed to go ahead for launch. Many of the engineers on that conference call would later say they felt like they should say something to stop the launch, but they didn't act. It's understandable, isn't it? We've all given in to pressure in one way or another. We all fail to act, to do what we know we should do. We set goals and don't act. And we know what we should do and we don't act. And we deviate from what we can and should accomplish. Now, despite the warnings from the engineers the night before, despite 22-degree temperatures, despite two- to three-foot icicles hanging off much of the launch structure, despite the known risks, the next morning, NASA launched the Challenger into the sky at 11.38 a.m. Seven seconds after ignition, the right booster aft section joint bent under pressure. The rubber O-ring did not expand to fill the gap because it was cold and unresponsive, and smoke shot out of the booster. As the Challenger rose into the sky, fuel began to escape from the side of the booster and burn. And finally, 70 seconds into the flight, the booster section broke apart and millions of pounds of fuel immediately ignited and the space shuttle began to break apart. Now, The crew cabin remained intact, separating from the shuttle. It was designed to survive such an explosion, such an impact. And cameras would track the crew cabin with the seven passengers still inside as the cabin began to free fall towards the Earth. At this point, several of the crew turned on their oxygen packs. The pilot also made several attempts to restore electrical power. But approximately two minutes and 45 seconds later, the cabin hit the ocean surface at 207 miles per hour. No one survived, and the cabin was recovered from the ocean's floor days later. Now, months of questions would follow. How did this happen? How did some of the country's brightest engineers not take action? Lost lives, billions of dollars in cost, years of work, gone to waste, all because of the failure to act on one conference call. Now, one of the reasons Thiokol engineers failed to act was due to what sociologist Diane Vaughn deemed the normalization of deviance. This is the process in which a deviance from what is correct or proper becomes normalized. Now, this happens in my life and yours all the time. You see, we set a goal or have established values But after not working or acting towards those goals or living on the values that we know we hold, our behavior, even our thinking, becomes normalized, meaning we accept it. And somehow, despite the departure from what we know is right or we know is best, we now accept this normalized behavior. And the biggest lie we tell ourselves, perhaps, is that someday we'll fix it. 
we'll return to do what we set out to do or that we have the power to do so anytime we want. But here's the simple truth. Every time we choose not to act or to correct our course, we stray further from our goals. We normalize our deviation from who we are meant to be. Let me give you a simple example. Let's say that you set a goal to spend 15 minutes of quality time with your six-year-old son each day reading. You see, you want him to find a love of books or develop reading skills and expand his imagination. But the busyness of the day seems to get in the way. Soccer games, carpool, friends, your own life's interruptions, and other things cause you to miss the goal one day after another. Soon, you're missing that goal becomes normalized. And you think, it'll be okay. He can make it up in school, or I can start with him anytime. But here's the truth. In life, there is no neutral ground. Each time you choose to act or not to act moves you closer or further away from who you are meant to be. And you may think that if you don't act today on your goals, it will always be there tomorrow, right? That is false and harmful thinking. When you don't act, you're not standing still. You are, in fact, paying a price. Just like your son pays a price to missing those days of reading, there is a cost to waiting on any goal or worthwhile endeavor, and it's bigger than you think. Thomas Jefferson said, do you want to know who you are? Don't ask. Act. Action will delineate and define you. Now, for a long time, I pondered on the question of what makes a person a person of action. You've met people who are people of action before, right? They seem to have this extra sense of life about them and take action independent of others. And most of all, they seem to be able to act and act in the right ways most of the time. So how do you become a person of action? Well, some of you listening today have decided to build a business or stick to an exercise plan or something similar. And I believe at the time you made that decision, you genuinely decided. At the time of that decision, and maybe for a while after, you had the firm determination to do what you set out to do. But then the difficulty or monotony or the weary wearies set in, and perhaps you slowed down a bit just to catch your breath. And then you started to breathe easy for a long, longer, even longer time. Then when you're out of practice, you start the cycle. You know, where you say to yourself, I'm going to do it today. Then today gets in the way like yesterday did and the day before did. And you go to bed each night thinking it happened again. And I didn't do what I set out to do. And soon that cycle repeats itself, robbing you of your zeal, your confidence, your feelings of self-worth. So much so now that you avoid the thought of it because it brings up all those feelings again. And what you haven't come to realize is that you have the power to act, the power to do, the power to be what you want to be. It's been inside you all along. It's there, latent, waiting for you. It's waiting for you to leave your normalized excuses because you are stronger than you think and more able than perhaps you've been lately. And inside of you is the power to act and to stick to it and to be what you set out to be. And I believe that God put you in your circumstance at this point in your life to act 
to learn, to grow, to be someone, something remarkable. And maybe we all need to learn how to become people of action. I believe you are endowed with greatness and you are appointed and destined to become someone of great value in your own life, to others, to your family, and to others around you. And the difference between becoming a person of action and a person of regret is less than you think. In other words, you can become a person of action. And here's the truth. Everything you see is the result of action. Every successful person, every successful business, successful relationship, every successful before and after picture, every single one of them exists because someone didn't let deviations become normal and took action. And every day you're presented with the same choice, either take action or give in. It's that simple. Your business doesn't look the way you want it, take action. You don't have the look you want, take action. You don't have the financial freedom you want, take action. You don't feel good about you, take action. Action is the only solution to becoming who you were meant to become. Now, born on the south side of Chicago, Lynn's mother worked for a local rabbi and her father in a chicken factory. Throughout her childhood, her less than stellar class scores had convinced her she wasn't smart enough. In college, she tried, but when she didn't perform well, she left school and drove to California. She knew she was off course from who she was supposed to be, and she got a job as a waitress at the Buttercup Bakery. For seven years, she worked as a waitress. She knew she could do more, but her deviated life had become normal. Finally, at the age of 29, she decided to make a change. She started to act. Lynn wanted to open her own restaurant. She asked her parents to loan her the money, but they had none. So the next day, a patron in her restaurant asked her what was wrong, and she explained she needed to borrow money because she wanted to open her own restaurant. He loaned her $2,000 and helped her find another $50,000 loan so that she could make an offer on a restaurant for sale. Now, to keep the money safe and to earn interest while the deal was being prepared, she invested her money with Merrill Lynch. But to her dismay, when she went to get the money, she was told the money had been invested in high-risk options and the market had turned and everything was lost. How could this be? How could this happen? So Lynn, instead of fretting and worrying and giving up, went to work trying to understand investments. She took action. And the more she learned, the more intrigued she became. She soon realized that she had a good understanding of investments, and she took action again, and she applied for a job at Merrill Lynch and got it. And with action infused in her life, she said the world started opening up to her. While studying for her Series 7 exams, she realized that the broker who lost her money did so without going through proper procedure. So while employed at Merrill Lynch, she sued Merrill Lynch and won her lawsuit and recovered the $52,000 and repaid her friends at the Buttercup restaurant. But now, a person of action, and after several years with Merrill Lynch, she took action and started to work for Prudential Securities and then formed her own investment firm. It was from there that Susie Lynn Orman launched her career in writing and training others on how to manage their money. 
For Susie, action changed everything. It took her from waiting, waiting on tables and waiting on life, to a life of great value. Action helped her get her loan. Action helped her become a broker. Action helped her sue her employer. And action led to a new career. You see, action helps you return to who you are and what you value. Action attracts. When you act, you are clear about what you're looking for, and you'll attract the right people and the right resources to your life. And becoming a person of action is more straightforward than you think. Imagine how your life would change if you became a person of action. If each day you did what it takes to build your business or get healthier or foster a relationship. To have that kind of strength, you have to open your eyes to where you're going. Because each day when you make that small decision of whether to jump in and do the work, whether to act or not, there has to be some bigger emotion that carries you through that moment of choice or moment of hesitation. And status or money won't do it. What we have to do is open our eyes to see the difference in our life over time if we act or if we don't act. So let's project your life forward five years. Let's say you take action with your new business you've started. Yes, it's hard work. Yes, sometimes you won't feel like doing it. And yes, it may take time. But oh, think of the person you will be at the end of five years. More friends and meaningful relationships. You'll be a better people person. You'll have more humility and a sense of service to others. You'll have more income. You'll have more habits that can bless your life. More experiences that will open doors to bigger and brighter things. You'll have more pride in who you are. Less regrets. More deposits in your self-esteem bank. Less worry. Less fretting. Less anxiety. Less pity. You see... Action frees you up to be who you were meant to be. So back to our question, how do you become a person of action? Well, there's a power in extreme clarity about your path and purpose in life. You see, when you're clear, it's easier to act. And nothing clouds action more than confusion or clutter. So get extreme clarity about where you're going, and it will make all the difference. You see, the price of everything is the amount of life you're willing to exchange for it. So be clear about what you want and about how you're going to get there. You've likely heard the old saying, by the yard is hard, by the inch is a cinch. Well, get super clear about the small actions you're going to take and don't confuse things too much with too much stuff. For example, tomorrow, at what time will you do what activity? For example, at 6 a.m., I will read for 15 minutes and exercise for 45 minutes. Keep it simple. One hour each day. And just do the same activity each day for the next two weeks. Stick to your simple goals. And you will find at the end of two weeks that continuing for another two weeks is no big deal. Because as Emerson said, that which we persist in doing becomes easier to do. Not that the nature of the thing has changed but that our power to do the thing has increased. So act with clarity. Now, for me, I need to have clear goals, and I value writing things down. If you want to know the power of this, and you don't need to look any further than research done at Yale University. Years ago, researchers found that 3% of students had written goals and a plan to achieve them at the time of graduation. 
They then tracked those students over the next 20 years. And what did they find? The 3% that had written goals and a plan when they graduated college over the next 20 years, that those 3% earned more than the other 97% of graduates combined. Another study at Harvard found that 84% of the class had no written goals, 13% had goals but didn't write them down, and the remaining 3% had both goals and wrote them down with a plan of action. 20 years later, those with a written plan of action, the 3%, earned 10 times that of the 84% who did not have goals. There is something powerful about a clear plan of action that's written down that frees up your daily decision-making because you already know where you're going and you've already decided. Now, one more simple principle, small choices matter. Choices, no matter how small, will alter the trajectory of your life. Every day you have to choose whether to act or not to act. In that moment of choice, choose action. Every time, choose action. Today, lock into your mind that you're going to choose action. Years ago, as a president of a large company, when I had lots of people and processes and problems coming my way, I wasn't doing very well. I had so much in my life going on, it seemed I was losing on all fronts. So I learned a simple habit. Act immediately on the most important things. I realized that almost all things have several steps in the process to completion. Goals are no different. So I decided to just act at each moment of choice, and if nothing else, move the thing to the next step. So if a process needed improvement, I would at least get a process analysis started. If someone needed my time, I'd at least schedule an appointment. And if at all possible, I would do right then what needed to be done. And this habit has blessed my life ever since. My wife doesn't like me because when we're driving in the car, she's telling me her mental list of things we need to do, and I try and act immediately. If she says we need to arrange something, I'll jump on the phone and make a call, or I'll send a text. I'll move the most important things to the next step. Every time you feel inspired to act, move it to the next step. Don't wait. Moving it to the next step, maybe a text message or an invitation or sending a thank you, maybe scheduling an appointment or making an important call. There's that old Chinese proverb, remember, that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. In a recent study, researchers brought together two groups of students. All students in both groups had to turn in three papers for the class. The first group had only one final deadline for all three papers at the end of three weeks. The second group turned in one paper at the end of each week. In the end, who did better? Well, the second group turned in better papers, learned more, were happier about their work, and got better grades. Do it now. Don't wait. There is always a cost to waiting. Do it now. What I found is this. This do-it-now habit pushes you when you otherwise wouldn't want to be pushed. As the story goes, once there was a millionaire who collected live alligators, and he kept them in the pool in the back of his mansion. The millionaire also had a beautiful daughter who was single. And one day, he decides to throw a huge party. And during the party, he announces, 
My dear guests, I have a proposition to any man here. I will give $1 million or a date with my daughter to the man who can swim across this pool full of alligators and emerge alive. Before he could even finish his last word, there was a large splash. One brave young man was in the pool, frantically swimming while the alligators were snapping all around him. The crowd cheered him on, and finally he made it to the other side with a torn shirt and some minor injuries, but he made it. And the millionaire was impressed. He said, my boy, that was incredible. Fantastic. Well, I must keep my end of the bargain. Do you want a date with my daughter or the $1 million? And the swimmer said, listen, I don't want your money or a date with your daughter. I want the name of the guy who pushed me in the pool. Here's the answer to giving yourself a push in life and getting back on track if you've deviated from your path. Don't wait. Act. Don't wait to plan. Don't wait to move. Don't wait at anything. You see, many of you come here under the false notion that you can begin again anytime, that it will always be there. Not so. Every time you delay or defer, you not only lose time, but you lose a little something inside as well. When you choose to wait, you lose power. Let me give you an example. When you get home on a typical day and you pull into the driveway from your job, let's say, you see the garbage needs to be taken out and you have the impression to do it then, but you wait. You see the shoes need to be put away. You wait. And this continues over and over again dozens of times. Some things you get to, others you don't. But the accumulation of these things soon build up so that things seem beyond your ability to change or do. Our business is no different. Let's say you have an impression to make a phone call. You wait. You think you should reach out and follow up, but you wait. You need to organize your week and calendar. You wait. And soon the inaction, the buildup of it all, accumulates until you feel you can't move forward. I know what this is like. I'll sleep five more minutes. I'll do this first. I'll see what happens. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it as soon as. What are we waiting for? Don't wait. Become a person who doesn't wait for anything. Unexpected good things come to those who don't wait. Look at the people who live wait-free. They have more opportunities, they're organized, they take on new challenges successfully. But the rest of us, we wait for the time to be perfect. Oh, she seems rushed, I'll talk to her later. Or I don't have as much time, I'll reschedule. Or I don't have the right workout clothes, I'll exercise tomorrow. And it goes on and on. Don't wait. The very best to-do list is an empty list. And if you lose the weight in life, soon your list clears up. When you lose the weight, you understand the effort expended to do it now is much less than the effort to try and do it later. Momentum in life, in business, inside yourself is easier to maintain than recreate. My mother's been diagnosed with lymphoma and elected to forego further treatment, and I'm not sure how many more months or weeks she'll be with us. She's lived her life never waiting. As a young boy, if I walked past a shirt on the floor, she taught me to pick it up then. If my bed was unmade, I made it then. Prayers not said, say them now. Homework to be done, do it now. Playtime, play now and enjoy it because all the other things were done. And of all the habits she passed on to me that have benefited my life, 
This one thing, do it now, don't wait, has greatly blessed my life. Now, just imagine if you became a person who didn't wait, who did things now. Would your life change? Would your business improve? You bet it would. How long will you wait, Dad, to be the father you should be? How long will you wait, Michelle or Tanya or Janice, to rise up and be the leader your team needs? What are you waiting for, John, to start the business that can change your life? What are you waiting for? Inspiration, the right feeling, to feel motivated for your children to get older, to retire? What are you waiting for? A new U.S. president to be discovered, to feel safe, to get your ducks in order until your eggs are in a different basket, until you're not so busy, until it's convenient, until he proposes, and anything else we can dream up. Waiting for the other shoe to drop, the bottom to fall out, or your ship to come in? The truth is, your life will go by one way or the other. Whether you wait or not, the time will pass and your life will accumulate one way or the other. Lose the weight. So you may be asking, how do I become a person who doesn't wait? Well, here's a trick I've learned, and it works exceptionally well. I've created a phrase that I use in the moment of choice. You know, that moment when you should make the phone call or you're deciding to wait or act. And if you repeat this phrase in that moment, you will be more apt to act. And soon the phrase will become associated with immediate action in your mind and in your psyche. Sounds kind of silly, right? But it works, and it works every time. When I was 15 years old, I went on a trip to Lake Powell. Now, Lake Powell is a man-made lake with miles of high cliffs. And it's an incredible place to water ski, vacation, and more importantly, cliff jump. My friends and I pulled up to a famous cliff, climbed to the top of the cliff, held on to one end of our 50-foot ski rope and let the other end fall down to the water. And it hung a few feet from the top of the water. So when I climbed to the top and looked down that 55 feet, I immediately froze. It was petrifying. I couldn't jump. You know, up there, you start to think, how deep is the water? Are there rocks under the water? Should I bend my legs? Because if I land straight-legged, it'll break a bone. What if I drift in the air and land on my stomach? And all of the other thoughts come to mind of what could go wrong. Now, I was first on the cliff, but I was afraid to jump. So I kind of backed down. And one of my friends behind me climbed to the top, and as he reached the top, he just picked up speed and ran right off the cliff with no hesitation. Inspired, I climbed to the cliff's edge again. I inched as low on the cliff as I dared, and then I counted one, two, three, and jumped. And ever since then, I've just said, one, two, three, go. And on any small decision, just count to three and jump to action. This keeps us from thinking too much. You see, I think we want the complete assurance there are no rocks, or we want to know the depth of the water, and we want perfect instructions. On and on and on. So don't wait. One, two, three, act. Remember, Great things are waiting for you. Make the leap. Small actions will change the trajectory of your life. And don't forget, action infuses your life with new energy and ideas, relationships, sense of pride. And inaction brings confusion and disappointment and sense of loss and nothing new. So if you've deviated from the ideal, 
and that's become normalized in your life. Get clear about your goals, make written plans for action, do the small things immediately, and become a person who doesn't wait, and watch how your life will change. Well, thanks for being here today. We'll talk about the next steps to opening your eyes in our next podcast, and I look forward to being with you again soon.